The song, Almost Home, talks of the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus and what comes after that, eventually, eventually culminating in the perfect new heavens and new earth forever forward. In a million years from today, we will be worshiping together, and the worries of this week will have been a million years ago. Amen? For some of you, the thought of that forever forward with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, comes with a heavy reminder of those you've recently lost. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks of the great cloud of witnesses. And in light of the great cloud of witnesses, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We see that in Hebrews 12. But for our new sermon series that starts today, we're going to be spending many weeks in Hebrews chapter 11, considering the faith of those who have gone before us. It's called a great cloud of witnesses. Before we get to the great cloud of witnesses, the first three verses of Hebrews 11 talk about faith. And for that, uh, we are privileged to have our family pastor candidate here today uh, to preach from Hebrews 11 for us. Uh, His wife, Kylie, daughter Josephine, or Josie, and son, Martin, or Marty, uh, have been here this weekend, and they're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, So as I invite Pastor Travis Dykes up here to preach God's Word for us, can we give a warm welcome to the Dykes family? Brother, open God's word, and may we be nourished by our Savior from it. God yes, bless sir. you. Good morning, church. It's good to be here. I ask that you turn in your own copy of God's word to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3, and read our passage this morning along with me. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3. <clears throat> now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us. We thank you that uh, you have shown us Uh, what your will is for us. I pray that this morning, as we examine this passage of Scripture, that it will not be about me, my opinions, uh, but Lord, it will be about your word and that we will all leave this gathering in a closer obedience to you than we did when we came, a deeper knowledge of you than we did when we came. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little about me, I, I used to play football, and as you can probably tell, uh, I was not very good at it, I just had a lot of fun playing. And in football, as with every other sport and every other uh, thing you might participate in, it is good to go back and revisit the basics, right? You go back and you revisit the basics, things that surely you know by now, Things that you've known for some time now, you go back and you revisit the basics. One football coach, John Heisman, from many years ago, he was born in the 1800s, he said, speaking to his team, holding up a football, he said, what is this? A prolate spheroid 
an elongated sphere in which the outer leather casing is drawn tightly over a somewhat smaller rubber tubing. Better to have died as a small boy than to fumble this football. (laughs) He went back to the basics. What is a football? And the same is true as we study the things of God. As we study the scripture, it is so important that we go back to the basics of the faith. For how can we be expected to be fishers of men, to reach out into this world and to make disciples of Jesus Christ if we cannot adequately explain the basics of our faith, if we aren't well acquainted with them? And so I invite you this morning to revisit the basics of the faith with me with the question, what is faith and what does it do? So we read our passage, Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. I'd like for us once again to look at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith, what is it? It's the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? Maybe you were hoping for some things for Christmas and maybe you got them, maybe you didn't. Maybe you're hoping that the Eagles will go to the Super Bowl and win. Maybe you're hoping I won't preach terribly long and you can get to the diner before it gets too crowded. But as we think about our hope as Christians, we don't think of a hope that may or may not come through for us. We think of a joyful expectation of something guaranteed but not yet realized. That's what we think about in terms of a hope. But what is it that we hope for as Christians? I'm sure that we can come up with a great many things in this room as we think about what do we hope for as Christians. But what I'd like to do is to rewind the tape a little bit in this passage and go back to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 and figure out what has the writer of Hebrews been talking about in relationship to hope. Verse 36, chapter 10 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So what do we hope for? I think most notably here, we hope for the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is coming back just as he promised that he would. And when he does come back, it will mean great and wonderful things for his people, for his redeemed, those who have faith. And it will mean horrible, terrible things for those who have rejected him. Why do we hope for the return of Christ? Well, first, 1 Thessalonians four seventeen reminds us that when Jesus comes, we're going to be with him forever. That God's people, all of them together, will be with him forever. And that is a great and wonderful thing. A wonderful thing to be in the presence of God. A wonderful thing to be reunited with our brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone on before us. That God's people, when he returns, all of us together will be with him 
forever. What else do we hope for? Well, come with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And let us look together at verse 21. Revelations th- Revelation 3, 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When Jesus Christ returns, we will get to sit with him on his throne. Now that means something probably that, that hits us probably a little bit different than it hit the original audience. The original audience who received the book of Revelation, first century believers, these people were being persecuted for their faith. These people were being killed and tortured because of what they believed about Jesus Christ. They were oppressed in ways we cannot begin to understand. They were ridiculed and mocked and done so to the point of death. And here in Revelation 3, John reminds them that one day because of your relationship to Jesus Christ, because of who he is, one day you will be somebody. You are oppressed in this life. But one day, you are going to be someone, you are going to rule and reign and sit on the throne of Jesus Christ, your Savior. See, as we hope for the return of Christ, we have many beautiful things to hope for. We're almost home. I don't know if you've ever bought a ticket online through... uh, Ticketmaster, StubHub, whatever the case may be. Maybe you've bought a ticket, you've got it in the mail. You have a ticket that you're holding on to for an event that has not yet come. And maybe you're so excited to go to this play, this movie, this concert, whatever the case may be. You're so excited that you keep going on your phone into your ticket app and you say, look, I've got, I've got the ticket, it's right here. I'm going to get to go, I'm so excited. See, Jesus Christ has not yet returned for us. And for those of us in this room, we have not yet gone to him. But we know that that day is coming. We know that that day is coming. And faith is the part of our hope that we hold on to in this present moment. It's the part of our faith that we hold on to. In this life, we will encounter hardship. Sometimes in the form of a minor inconvenience of everyday stresses, but sometimes in the case of a devastating disaster. And when those times come, when you're in a dark place, hold tightly to your faith in Jesus Christ. Cling to it because faith is the part of our hope that we presently hold on to. It's the assurance of things hoped for. But it's also the conviction of things not seen. Now, your translation may say a conviction, like mine does. It, it may say the evidence 
Uh, both are great translations here. It's, it's convicting evidence. It's not simply a, a proof, but convicting evidence. Cold, hard evidence of things unseen. Our faith is the convicting evidence of the God we serve. But how does that work? Because faith in itself isn't really visible, is it? So how can we have something invisible that is convicting evidence of something else that is also invisible? I believe Peter explains this well. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, we have scripture that is being written to first century Christians who are being persecuted. And, you know, we sometimes like to say we're being persecuted when somebody tells us happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. <laughs> These people were being lit on fire, fed to lions, locked up, tortured, crucified. These people were facing fierce, fiery persecution. And Peter says, you are encountering trials that test your faith, to see if it is genuine. And you continue to show love for your Savior, Jesus Christ. You continue to show loyalty to His Word and obedience to Him. You encounter trial after fiery, bloody trial, and you remain loyal to your Savior who loves you. And that, my friends, is visible. Very much so. Their faith is motivating them to do things that the world around them observes. You know, faith is kind of like electricity. When we plug in an appliance, a tool, a device into the wall, we don't see the electricity going from the wall to that device. We don't see it. We don't see it charge, but we've plugged it in. And when you pick up your drill and you squeeze the trigger on your drill and that drill bit starts turning, it is evident that there is a current of electricity running through that drill. And it, what it does is it shows that that tool is empowered 
to be used by the craftsman to do his work. And the same is true in our lives. You cannot see the faith within us, but you can see what it motivates us to do. You can see that it motivates us to do the will of our Savior, to do the will of our Maker. You know, once in a while you plug in an appliance and for whatever reason it doesn't charge. I'm dealing with that with my phone right now. It's a little bit frustrating. So you plug it in. It's supposed to be charging. There's supposed to be electricity arriving at this device. And it doesn't happen. The electricity never went into the device. It's not there. And when you go to use whatever that device is, it shows there's no current of electricity running through it. Even so, there are many people who plug themselves into a church pew every week. And the way they live out their lives in the week, it shows that there is no current of faith running through them. When we Christians live out our faith... We are presenting the world around us with cold, hard evidence that the God we serve is real. That's what we do when we live out our faith. Now, let's examine together verse 2. We've spoke of what is faith. Let's talk about what it does. Let's look at verse 2. Hebrews 11, 2 says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. What does it mean when it says the people of old? Well, it's talking about the Old Testament heroes of the faith. The people that if you continue to read this chapter, you'll read about so many of them. These are the Old Testament believers that the Hebrews here, the Hebrew Christians, would have thought about. The people of old. It says, by it the people of old received their commendation. So what does that mean, their commendation? You may have in your version good report. It may say good testimony. Regardless, it boils down to this. These people are shown in the word of God to have the approval of God. I'll say that again. These people are shown in the word of God to have the approval of God. So what does faith do? It gains us the approval of God. That's what faith does. It gains us the approval of God. And what does the approval of God come with? It comes with the hope of heaven. It comes with the hope of eternity with Christ. And the promise that we will be spared from God's judgment of wrath. And all of this comes with a guarantee that those who have truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for real that those people will always be kept safe in the hand of God. They will always have the approval of God. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul what he must do to be saved, when he asked him this in Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He didn't say, You need to pray this many times, point in this direction. He didn't say you need to pray this particular prayer this many times and this particular prayer this many times and then you will be forgiven of your sins, you'll be saved. No. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what he said. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him, that gains us the approval of God. Nothing else. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. We are saved through faith. And even that faith we see here is a gift from God. Let's not forget that the very capacity to put our faith in Jesus is a gift from God. But we know that it's not from what we do that we are saved of our sins. It's not from what we, are, what we do that we gain approval with God. It is simply from faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work for us on the cross of Calvary. That's what saves us. Oftentimes we think, well, if, you know, if, if somebody's mostly good, then they ought to go to heaven. But the old illustration goes like this. And I didn't come up with this. But there's two barrels, of, uh, two barrels in front of you. One is full of clean drinking water. And one is full of sewage. Now, if you take a ladle and scoop out some sewage and put it in the clean drinking water, what do you have in front of you? Two barrels of sewage. Now, instead of doing that, if you were to take a ladle from the clean drinking water and put that in the sewage, is that no longer sewage? Of course it's still sewage. I'm not drinking it. (laughs) No mixture of sin or wickedness is acceptable in the sight of God. You can have all of the good in your life that you want and because of any bad things in our lives, we will not have the approval of God. Even when you think back to when you were a little boy or a little girl and your mom told you to take out the trash and you disobeyed, that alone was enough to separate you from a holy God. Because to have fellowship with a holy God, you must be holy. And there is no way for us to get there. There is no way for us to become holy, for us to have the approval of God apart from putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, there is only one way. There is only one way. But it is a clear and straight way that Christ has provided through his redemptive work for you on the cross of Calvary. Now, as we think about the people of old, the Old Testament believers, we often don't see them described as having faith. Yes, they they are described as having faith, but the, the terminology to point out the people of God in the Old Testament is a little bit different. Usually, the people of God in the Old Testament as refer, are referred to as having the fear of the Lord. Exodus 14, 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You know, the fear of the Lord we often don't talk about, but I think it's a very helpful term for us. And the reason why I think so is because it teaches us that true and saving faith is by nature submissive to who God is. True and saving faith is, in essence, a faith that is submissive to who God is and who is God. God is God alone, our creator, our savior the only self-existent one in this universe. 
if your faith cannot be described as being submissive to God, then the Bible would teach that it is not true and saving faith. I invite you to come with me to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 18 to 23. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Abraham, as we'll see in this chapter, Abraham's... Righteousness came from his faith in God. But Abraham's faith in God was demonstrated in how he lived and how he obeyed God. And if you're familiar with the person of Abraham at all, you know he got it wrong a few times. And we're going to get it wrong a few times. We are going to stumble into temptation. We are going to sin. And we know, thankfully, that our approval with God is found through faith alone. But we must understand that true and saving faith will motivate us to live in obedience to God. So we've talked about faith, what it is, what it does. But let's talk a little bit about the implications of living out our faith in this world. Let's examine together Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, for a Christian, we understand that faith is the most powerful thing that we have the capacity for. To put faith in Jesus Christ. We understand that the destination of our eternal soul... is completely hinged upon whether or not we have faith in Jesus Christ. Do not underestimate the power of faith simply because you cannot see it. Because as we've seen, the universe itself was created by a powerful force which cannot be seen, the word of the invisible, immortal, invincible God. Faith is so Significant, so crucial, so irreplaceable in our lives, but it cannot be seen. But Christians, you are going to have to come to grips with the fact that you have entrusted your entire life. You have entrusted the totality of your being to a God that your friends and family members can't see. You have cast your whole self as a living sacrifice upon the altar of a God that you yourself cannot see. 
That's going to result in ridicule at best and persecution at worst. But one day, you will be vindicated and you will be rewarded. Come with me to Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We know that in this life we're going to run into trouble. That we are going to run into people who oppose us, who ridicule us, who make our lives difficult, who hate us. Because we believe in an invisible God. But rest assured, Christian, that one day you will be vindicated and rewarded when Jesus comes. And every eye will see him. And you will rule with him. And the invisible God will be revealed to all mankind. So here's what it boils down to. Faith. What is it? What does it do? Faith is the invisible gift of God that motivates the people of God to do the will of God and to gain approval in the sight of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you that you have provided a way for us as sinful people to be returned to fellowship with our Creator, our Savior. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us enough to send your Son to die for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you, that you would move in their hearts, that they would repent of their sins and turn to a saving faith in you. Lord, for the rest of us here who who do know you, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen in us a resolve to live out our faith before this world for you. Lord, that we would rest assured in the fact that you have already paved the way to heaven for us. And Lord, that you would remind us of the blessed hope of your triumphant return for your people who you love. It's in Jesus' precious name.